Luke chapter number 21. We've been preaching through the gospel of Luke for some time, and uh, we come back to it, and then we leave it and come back to it. We're back to it this morning. So we're in Luke chapter 21, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 5. Luke 21, verse number 5. This is Jesus Christ during the last week on earth, just a couple of days before he's arrested and crucified. And he is speaking on the temple platform in Jerusalem, or actually they've left the platform, gone across the Kidron Valley. And verse number 5, as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And they asked him, saying, Master, but when shall these things be? And what sign will there be when the things shall come to pass? And he said, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. But when ye shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass. But the end is not by and by. Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. But before these, all these, they shall lay their hands on you. And persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or, nor resist." And ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolks and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein too. For these be the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled." But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, 
and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Gospel of Luke chapter number 21. Got a question for you. Does Jesus Christ offer a relationship to himself that will guarantee you a happier, healthier, more prosperous life? I disagree, Angela. When the, when the fire is ignited and the body melts as a martyr, he didn't have a healthier life. When persecution takes a man's job away, he doesn't have a more financially prosperous life. The prosperity gospel tells you Jesus Christ will make you healthier, happier, and more prosperous. If you'll just get Jesus into your life, the birds will sing sweeter and everything will be good. And Jesus Christ will bring you everything that will make life comfortable and easy. You know, that's the exact opposite of what Jesus Christ taught. In our text this morning, we learn that Jesus Christ was unmistakably clear that the prosperity gospel is a lie. In our text this morning, Jesus Christ makes unmistakably clear that no such positive twist to the gospel is taught in the Bible. Now, Angela, I know what you were talking about. (laughs) You were talking about the hope in our heart and the peace in our heart. And and even in the midst of dying for Christ, the martyrs sang songs of victory because of what Pastor Ryan just sang. The reality of persecution is a hard thing. And thank God for the hope and the joy and the peace in the heart, even in the midst of being a martyr, being murdered for one's stand for Jesus Christ. But the whole hard reality is it's no fun to have your body burnt. It's no fun to have your head cut off. It's no fun to be shot dead because you named the name of Christ. It's no fun to lose your job because of your belief in Jesus Christ and the principles and truths that he taught. And so we as Christians live in this strange mixture of having the ability to have peace and joy that Angela was amening about in the midst of being persecuted for the one who gave us hope and victory that Pastor Ryan just sang about. And the 
The text for this morning makes all of that crystal clear. The bottom line up front, the bluff of the morning message is that Jesus offers you a life on earth of persecution in trade for an eternity of joy and peace. What a trade-off. The gospel of Jesus Christ is taught in the Bible is not a soft sell that coaxes people to bring Jesus in to tweak their lives so that they can pay all their bills and have health and have money and they can, they can, they can become millionaires and ride around in, in expensive cars and live in mansions and have multiple homes all because of their bringing Jesus Christ into their life. The prosperity gospel is a lie. It's a corruption. It's false teaching. It's a lie that has been perpetuated in a commercialized nation that causes people to come to Christ for the wrong reason. When you come to Christ for the wrong reason, you get the wrong result. The gospel, not a soft sell. If you come to Jesus, he'll fix everything in your life. You know, some people come to Jesus and they still die of cancer. You know, some people come to Jesus and they lose their job. You know, some people come to Jesus and their parents kick them out of the home and disown them and say, you're not my son, you're not my daughter. The reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ is something different than the common prosperity gospel that has become popular. The gospel is a great deal, but it's a great deal for those who are at the end of the rope, who are guilty over their moral brokenness, who are desperate over the fear of giving an account to their Creator. The, the reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ is a great deal to those that are broken over their sinful life. And the gospel is good news because it enables their, their sinful lives to be converted into children of God. But that is a whole different ballgame from from all that the prosperity gospel offers to people. No, the reality is persecution is real. Then Jesus Christ dealt with this persecution in the lives of these people. Let me pause just for a second to apologize for the extras. I don't know where you all found those. I wondered why you were so late, and then I realized I... I, I don't know where I left them. I, I never, they never got to the usher closet. I'm glad you searched the building and found wherever I left those. But uh, anyway, they're on my desk. Hey, there you go. I'm glad you found them on my desk. Judy, make sure you cut this out of the permanent copy of the sermon. Jesus Christ consistently taught this, this reality, this truth about persecution. He consistently taught it, and he taught it often as he neared his own crucifixion. As a matter of fact, just, it kind of began to culminate a year and a half earlier than Tuesday on the platform, on the temple platform, or, or rather on the Mount of Olives after they left the temple platform. It was a year and a half earlier, Jesus had been training his twelve apostles, and he got ready to send out the twelve apostles. They were going to go out in pairs, and they were going to go all over Israel preaching 
the gospel that Jesus Christ had taught them. And before he sent them out, he talked to them about the persecution they would face. And if you were to go back, I, I put it just for future reference, if you're the kind of person you'd like to go back and study deeper into the, uh, the, the truths that we preach on on Sundays, then uh, this will give you some places to go back and to, to, to be able to compare some things to what we're looking, the actual passage we're looking at this morning. Back in the Gospel of Matthew, it was a year and a half earlier, it was as Jesus was sending out the twelve apostles for their ministry, Jesus Christ taught them the same things that we're looking at this morning. As a matter of fact, you, you, you can go back and read it, and some of the phraseology is the same. Jesus taught them the message that we're going to look at this morning as he sent out the apostles for their ministry. This passage that we're looking at today comes on Tuesday, right? We're studying through Passion Week. We've looked at Sunday, Monday. We've been studying Tuesday. This is late in the day Tuesday. They've left the temple. They've gone up and down the, or down and up the Kidron Valley, uh, up on the Mount of Olives. They're looking back behind them at this amazing temple building and, uh, and they're talking about it and then Jesus Christ begins to talk to them about future events. They ask Jesus questions. He answers questions and the questions he answers then Causes him to, to talk about the future prophecy, future events. And, and uh, that's, this is on Tuesday. But the day after tomorrow, from the perspective of our text, is Thursday. And they're going to go into the upper room. And they're going to have the Passover meal. And, and Jesus Christ is going to spend his last evening with these same apostles that he had sent out a year and a half earlier, telling them, you're going to be persecuted. Here's what to expect. Now, on Tuesday, he's talking about persecution. Two days later, in the upper room, his last evening, and he talks to them about persecution, and he tells them some of the same things that's in our text that we're looking at today. And then if you fast forward 35 years ahead, you have the Apostle Paul nearing his own martyrdom, his own... Persecution and being put to death for his ministry for the name of Christ. And, and he pins his last part of the New Testament, 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, Paul talked about all of the persecutions he had endured. And then he made a statement to Timothy. He said, Timothy, I'm telling you, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He didn't say some. He didn't say some will suffer persecution. He said all they that live godly shall suffer persecution. Paul, at the end of his life, facing his own execution, wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, you need to understand Christianity is a persecuted life. And anyone who lives godly will suffer persecution. See, the subject of persecution radiates throughout the life and ministry of Jesus Christ and then fast-forwards into the lives of all of His followers. Not a prosperity gospel that add Jesus to your life and every, you know, you're going to have money come in. You're not going to know where the money came from. It's going to pay all your bills and you're never going to get sick again. If you get sick, you can pray the prayer of faith and, and, and you'll be healed every time and, and everything's going to be just... No. Nowhere in the Bible... Did people come to Jesus Christ in order to have a better life on earth? 
there's only one reason to come to Christ. And that's because I'm a guilty sinner facing hell for all of eternity. And if the problem of my sin is not resolved, when I stand before my Creator, I will face punishment that I deserve forever. And when that becomes real to me, when I become convicted by the Spirit of God of the reality of that, the Bible says I have a broken and a contrite heart. The Bible talks about being broken before God. Dr. Bob's trying to turn his oxygen on. God doesn't want you to hear this message because Angela aimed in at the wrong time. The ushers didn't show up with the, with the handouts and Dr. Bob is trying to gas us all with oxygen. You better listen to the Word of God this morning. The devil is trying to keep it out of your attention. You okay, Lori? She almost climbed the wall. There would have been a ladder there. She'd have been in the balcony. I wish you could have seen what I saw. We need a backward camera. Where's Jeff? We need a camera to get the congregation in here. I have the foggiest idea where I was. <laughs> Jesus Christ promised to his followers over and over again that they would be persecuted on this side of heaven. And he told them, you need to deny yourself. It's not about you. And it's not about your comfort. You need to deny yourself. Take up your cross. The cross is not a pretty piece of jewelry. It's an electric chair. It's a hangman's noose. It's an instrument of death. Cruel death. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. Jesus over and over again challenged people to become followers of himself. Not so they would have a better, easier, happier, more fun life this side of heaven. So they'd have a solution to their eternal problem of their sin that is taking them to hell. And when you embrace the message of Christ... That puts you at odds with the world that crucified him. So he said you can expect it not to always be a smooth sail. Do we understand persecution? Have we read the passages of Scripture and meditated on the passages of Scripture where persecution is dealt with so that we can understand the doctrine of persecution, what Jesus taught about persecution? Well, that's what we find Jesus doing. He's done it repeat. He does it repeatedly with these same twelve guys. And this is one of the episodes that he taught this. Now, this is the Olivet Discourse. We established the context in the previous message and went and skimmed through the entire sermon, laying out the different parts of it. Let me merely remind you that in this sermon there are three subjects that Jesus Christ talks about. The first subject is the subject for this morning. What would happen to those current group of believers after the death of Jesus? What would happen to them? And what would happen to future followers of Jesus Christ 
up until the end of this dispensation. That's subject one. Subject two that we'll look at in a future message, what would happen to Israel a mere 40 years from the time of Jesus' death? What will happen to Israel just 40 years down the road from the time Jesus Christ taught this? And then subject number three that we'll also look at in a future message, what would happen on earth during the last days that will culminate in Jesus Christ's second coming to earth? We'll be looking at each of these subjects in different messages. This morning, I want us to focus on verses 12 and following, verses 12 to 17. We're picking this sermon apart. We're taking little pieces of the sermon that Jesus preached this morning. We're going to start at verse number 12, and there are five lessons. We're not going to spend a long time on the five lessons, but each lesson we scanned last week. We want to just look at them just a little bit more. Verse number 12, Jesus Christ said, but before before all these, he had just listed things that would happen before the second coming of Christ in answer to one of their questions. Then he stopped mid-sermon and he says, but before any of that happens, they're coming after you. Before that happens way down the road, you in your life have some things that you're going to face. So verse number 12, Jesus said before all these that he had just listed, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and um, and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for, for my name's sake. There will be times of persecution. There's always going to be persecution. Sometimes it will end in death for the followers of Christ. All levels and all manner of persecution, times of persecution that Jesus' followers would endure. Now, the rest of the New Testament, the book of Acts, you see over and over again where the followers of Christ were persecuted. The stories of persecution, the Common Grounds class this morning, uh, Epaphras was was teaching on the first missionary journey and, and touched on Paul being stoned. And they thought he was dead. They drug his body out of this town thinking he was dead. And then he stood up. Persecution. The, the rest of the New Testament talks about believers, followers of Christ, being persecuted. This is the reality of the Christian life. Jesus said to his apostles, you are going to be persecuted. I carry this book up here this morning and someone saw me carry it and they said, wow, that's quite a book. Yeah, it is quite a book. This, this book used to grace uh, a lot of homes in America in, in our early history as a country. It was, uh, uh, along with, with the Bible and Pilgrim's Progress, it was probably in the three most popular books in homes in America in our early days. The name of it is Martyr's Mirror. It was written by Thielman J. Von Brott in the Dutch language. Here's the full title, The Bloody Theater, or, and you'll you'll notice that the printer, to depict on the bookshelf, that this is a book about shed blood. This is a book all about Christians who were murdered rather than deny Jesus Christ. 
The full title of the book is The Bloody Theater or Martyr's Mirror of the Defenseless Christians Who Baptized Only Upon Confession of Faith and Who Suffered and Died for the Testimony of Jesus their Savior from the Time of Christ to the year A.D. 1660. This is a book that chronicles names, dates, towns, facts, in order from the time of Christ to 1660 of people in Europe who were murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. The flyleaf of the, the, salt, the, the paper cover said this, Von Braut collected the accounts of martyrdom in Martyr's Mirror with the hope that they would inspire the reader to hold as tenaciously to his faith as did the martyrs of whom he wrote. That's why he wrote the book. He wanted his kids and his grandkids to love Jesus as much as these believers love Jesus. He wanted his kids and his grandkids to hold as tenaciously to Jesus Christ as these people held tenaciously to Jesus Christ. And so he collected details. He collected dates and names. He read histories. He put them all together and he published Martyr's Mirror. The heritage of bloodshed and persecution for the sake of a clear conscience and a pure faith grounded in the Word of God is the heritage of the Christian church. Such a faith, worthy of so dear a price, is worthy of perpetuation and should serve to challenge its descendants, even today, to a greater loyalty to biblical teachings. Martyr's Mirror has timeless value in the teaching of the position of Christians in human conflict today. When Christians sincerely want to know their responsibility in world conflagrations, this book represents an answer based on the life of Christ. An overflowing heart is greater than an exciting mind. The testimonies of these thousands of martyrs disclose a heart in likeness of our Savior. Martyrs mirror is for today. It has been in constant publication since the 1600s. It was first translated from Dutch to German here in America, in Pennsylvania, and went through multiple, multiple, multiple printings over the years. Then finally translated into English and it's been kept in circulation. This one was printed in Pennsylvania. There's a lot of people in this book. I've not read it from cover to cover by any means, but I've read excerpts. I've flipped through it and read stories. and been amazed at the price my spiritual forefathers paid in order to keep the teaching of Jesus Christ alive. The prosperity gospel preachers will meet God one day and they'll meet these martyrs one day. And they will give an account for the heresy that they preached in America and around the world. Persecution is a reality in the lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. It does us good to understand the persecution 
of people in history, as well as the persecution of people in our own in our own lives. I was watching some video clips last night from Voice of the Martyrs about people who have died in the last couple of years. Stories that have been written of today, of our lifetime, of our generation. People just like you. I read of a family from South Africa who surrendered their life to missions and they went to Afghanistan. Husband, wife, and two teenage kids, a boy and a girl. Young man and a young lady. And they went to Afghanistan. And the story of their brutal murder. The mom and wife survived. Her husband and her teenage kids brutally murdered. Just a few years ago. In our generation, in our lifetime. See, persecution is real. It's today. It's now. It's happening. Persecution takes all forms and shapes. But Jesus Christ told his followers, deny yourself. Pick up an instrument of your own execution and follow me. Because persecution is a reality in the lives of Christian people. I was reading last night on Voice of the Martyrs website. I happened upon an article that that shared some religious persecution facts about today, 2021, said more Christians are murdered in Nigeria than in any other country of the world. And North Korea has held the title of, quote, the world's worst persecutor of Christians. They've held that title for 20 consecutive years. Approximately 91% of recorded violent killings of Christians for faith-related reasons have taken place in Africa. And the world's largest democracy, the country of India, is among the top ten most difficult countries to be a Christian. We have families whose heritage goes back to India, who have family living in India. I think we have Family in our service this morning from India that are here with their kids. One of the top ten, largest democracy in the world, one of the top ten countries for Christians to have difficulty living there because of persecution. There will be times of persecution. Number two, persecution provides evangelistic opportunities. My, oh, my, verse number 13 of our text says, It shall turn to you for a testimony. Persecution will result in opportunities to testify. We read about that throughout the New Testament. We follow Paul's record. We find him in different places. Persecution resulted in opportunities to witness, opportunities to give testimony to others. Paul wrote the church at Philippi in Philippians 1, and he said, But I would... You, would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. He was in jail in Rome when he wrote that. He said, I just want you to understand, don't feel sorry for me because I'm being persecuted. Don't pity me because I'm being persecuted. Don't you know that because of this persecution... 
The gospel is spread throughout Caesar's household. Yeah, persecution often results in evangelistic opportunities. And isn't that not why we're here? Is that not the reason we're here? For evangelistic opportunities. Number three, trust God for the responses you need. Verse number 14, settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what you shall answer. In other words, don't memorize some cute lines. Don't try to figure out exactly what you're going to say. He said, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom. I'll, 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 I'll help you to know what to say, and I'll put the words in your mouth. When persecution comes into your life, you don't have to memorize something. I was talking to Henry Taylor. We were out this last week, and the Taylors are getting ready to move in another week. And, and Henry and I spent a day together, and, and Henry was sharing some of, his, some of the situations in which he'd been witnessing and answering questions at work. And, and he told me, he said, I was talking, I think it was his cousin, he was, he was answering his cousin uh, some questions about salvation, cousins unsaved. And, and, uh, and he said, when it was all over, I got to thinking, how did I come up with that? Where did that come from? I've never thought that before. It's amazing how the Spirit of God, if your heart's where it needs to be, if you've been reading and studying your Bible and your heart's where it needs to be, you don't have to memorize something. When, when, when you're in that situation, Jesus promised, I'll give you wisdom and words that will make all the difference in that situation. It's an exciting thing when you can sound smarter than you really are. Because God's at work bringing from your subconscious things you'd read or studied in the Bible maybe years before. And all of a sudden, you, you sound more intelligent than mine. I knew Henry wasn't that intelligent. You can sound really smart when God, the Holy Spirit, is working in your life. Jesus Christ promises apostles that you can trust God for the responses that you need at the time you need them when you're persecuted for your faith. And have the opportunity to witness the power of God in salvation. Number four, your persecutor will be stumped by your response. The Bible says in verse number 15, at the end of the verse, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, we don't use that word gainsay much anymore. It means to refute. You're, you're, those that you're, that you're speaking to won't be able to refute what you say. That they won't be able to have a comeback that will discount what you say. They won't be able to resist what you say. When the Holy Spirit is at work putting words in your mouth. Of course, we all know there in Acts how that these ignorant and unlearned fishermen, these, these, this ragtag group of twelve apostles that followed Jesus around for his ministry, that he trained and that he launched out for world evangelism, that when, they, when Jesus was dead and gone and, and, and they were in situations and they were preaching and testifying 
uh, there in Jerusalem, the Bible says the learned class, the ones who had been to college, the ones who had been educated in religion, the religious leaders of Israel who knew these were fishermen who never went to school. They said they were amazed at these ignorant and unlearned fishermen. And they deduced from that, these guys must have spent time with Jesus. You can trust God to help you know what to say. And for persecutors to be stumped by the truth of God. And then finally, the fifth lesson about persecution that Jesus talked about is that sometimes we'll even experience betrayal by our own family and friends. Verse number 16, you shall be betrayed both by parents, brethren, kinsfolk, friends, and some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Persecution comes in all shapes and sizes and all forms around the world from the brutal death of people to someone who loses their job because they won't make a cake or they won't take a photograph. And they're sued into poverty. And some lose their job because they won't follow the company line on something that goes contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Persecution comes in all shapes and sizes. It can cost you money. It can cost you friends. It can cost you family. It can cost you your life. Persecution is real. And persecution is today. Could you go ahead and put up that picture of uh, Rocio Pina? Pina or Pina? I think I put it. There we go. You can catch a little bit of it. Why don't you kill the lights over top me, the next bank of lights, please. This was was not very long ago. Just a, a, a few years ago. This lady, this mother and this wife, their family lived in Colombia. They lived in a part of Colombia that there was a lot of persecution, and they chose to live there to testify, to evangelize, to witness. There were a lot of there was a lot of guerrilla activity, Marxist guerrillas that were Causing all kind of havoc. She had come into contact with a, a young lady that happened to be a, a female guerrilla fighter. I don't know if she knew that or not. But she witnessed to the young lady. She told the young lady that Jesus Christ was waiting for her to call out to him. And she gave the young lady a New Testament short period of time passed, and one night after dark, a knock came at the door. Her husband answered the door, and it was two young men. They said their motorcycle had broke down. They asked if, if he could help them with their motorcycle. He stepped outside of the house and followed the first man, and the second man, unbeknownst to him, stayed at the door. 
husband's wife, Rocio Pina, had come up to the door, and the man that had been left at the door asked her, said, Are you Maria? She said, No, I'm, I'm Rocio Pina. Bang, bang, bang. Three shots fired out in rapid succession. She fell to the floor at her front door. Her husband turned and ran back to her side. The two men jumped on the motorcycle and sped off. This was just a couple of years, just, just a few years ago. She gave someone a New Testament. She told them God loved them. And she was singled out. There were no emergency vehicles to come and help. The roads had been mined by the guerrillas and there were patrols, guerrilla patrols. There was no one to appeal to, no one to come. And a husband and some kids knelt by her side and watched her life slip out of her body. She died. You can see a little video clip and read the story on on the website of Voice of the Martyrs. Persecution's real. Persecution is today. And sometimes persecution is as gut-wrenching as this young mom and wife being gunned down in her own home because she gave someone a New Testament. Sometimes it can simply be a a matter of somebody mocking you at school because you dared to witness to them or tell them you believed the Bible and Jesus Christ. Sometimes it can be as simple as losing your job because of something in the workplace that you can't go along with with all this craziness that's happening with all the gender identity and all the perversions of our culture. Persecution's real. Persecution is today. Persecution comes in all shapes and sizes. But I want you to notice something in closing. I want you to notice that there is hope when facing persecution. There is hope when facing persecution. Verse number 18 says, but I love it when, when, when it's, the, the narrative is not real, is not real fun. And then you run into the word, but there's another side of this coin. But there shall not an hair of your head perish. (laughs) Your persecutors cannot destroy you. All they can do is kill your body. You say, that's kind of weird. Not if you've read your Bible. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 and 30, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear them which is, fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. (laughs) Jesus had said that a year and a half earlier to these same guys. And now as he's getting ready to face his own death and thrust them out into the world that hated and killed him, he said, you're going to face persecution. They're coming after you. They didn't love me. They're not going to love you. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill you. But I've got some good news. They can't destroy 
even one hair on your head. And Brother Ryan, that, I guess that means that all of our hair is going with us to heaven. Some of you need that. The reality is, we're eternal beings. We're living for eternity. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Don't fear the one who, the worst they could do is kill you. Fear the one who has control over your destiny and eternity. Fear God and be willing to stand for Him fearlessly, regardless what the situation is. Knowing that Jesus didn't promise us all the money we could spend, all the food we can eat, all the clothes for a different outfit for every day. He didn't promise us the prosperity gospel. He promised us persecution. But He told us, be of good cheer. They can't take you to hell. All they can do is dispatch you to heaven. They can't destroy you. And then you'll notice in little number two at the very bottom of the page, your endurance is your victory. Our last verse in our text says, verse number 19, in your patience, possess ye your souls. It is the endurance. It is the ability to keep on keeping on. It's the dogged determination that I'll stand for Christ regardless of what it costs me. It's that, that endurance that says I'll not fail my Savior who died for me. That is your victory. Your endurance. When Jesus Christ was in the upper room, which would be... Two days from today, from the perspective of our text, we're on Tuesday, on Thursday in the upper room. Jesus Christ was again telling them about persecution. Again telling them that the world hates him, they're going to kill him. They'll not, they'll not look on you favorably if you stand for the same thing that I've been preaching. I'm, I'm speaking as if I were Jesus. Jesus said to the apostles, if you guys go out and preach the same thing I, Jesus, have been preaching, they're not going to love you any more than they love me. And couched through those chapters in John 13 to 16, you find Jesus Christ telling them, but you've got a future in heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He repeated that a couple of times. Don't be troubled by this, by this expectation of persecution. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm going to prepare a place for you and where I go. And prepare a place. I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And you know, you know where it is and you know how to get there. And old Thomas says, what do you mean? We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ said the antidote to trouble and fear in the face of persecution is a knowledge of what Jesus Christ has for us for all of eternity. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If they kill you, you'll be in heaven. That's a great thing. Hey, this isn't pie in the sky. If you've got a red letter edition, these, letter, these words are in red. This is Jesus' words. He said, expect persecution. Don't expect what the 
phony prosperity preachers. Turn Joel Osteen off and get into the word of God. Listen to Jesus instead of Joel. Listen to what Jesus has to say. And expect persecution if you stand for Christ. But be of good cheer. You've got heaven awaiting you. You'll read that throughout John 13 through 16. And you know what else he said in those passages on Thursday night just before he was arrested? He said, you've got one another. You've got one another. He said, I'm telling you, love one another. The world's not going to love you. Love one another. This is how all men will know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. You know the antidote to fear, to trouble, to anxiety in the face of persecution is Community Baptist Church a few times a week. Your relationships together are the antidote and the strength in the face of persecution. We've lived in an experiment for over 200 years now in America. Our fathers founded a country, a political basis of living together in society that was based upon the principles of the Word of God. Established religious liberty, and for over 200 years we've lived in the most amazing place and time in world history for being able to have an easy life. You get out of America, you get to other time frames in the world. You go to any other, you go in multiple places around the world today in 2021, and you find out that it's not easy to be a Christian. It's hard to be a Christian. And when you find those people who are put to death and you find those people who are called to the ultimate price for witnessing and giving out a new testament and standing for Jesus Christ, you ask them, what is their strength? They'll tell you, it's my brothers and sisters in Christ. They tell us we're not allowed to meet, but we will meet. They tell us it's illegal to have a church meeting, but we will meet. It'll be underground. It'll be hidden. We won't. We'll only let one another know where we're going to meet and when. But we will meet. Because the relationships of Christian people is the antidote to discouragement and fear and frustration and trouble in our souls in the face of persecution. Christian love. Let me read the last little phrase of that right before Jesus led them out into the Garden of Gethsemane. John 16, the last verse. Jesus said these. He's talked about persecution throughout the evening. He's talked about persecution. He's built the antidotes of, of, uh, of a knowledge of heaven and the relationship with Christian people. He's built those antidotes into them. And he gets down to the very last verse before they leave to go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. That's what Angela was aiming in. Oh, yeah. You have Jesus in your life, you have peace. Because peace is not dependent on someone not gunning you down. Peace is a matter of the heart in relationship to Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus taught those 12 apostles, 11 now, as Judas has already left to betray him. He taught those 11 apostles that you're going to face persecution, but I have taught you, I've spoken these things to you, that you might have peace. In the, in the world ye shall have tribulation. It's going to get hard. It's going to be difficult. We know that all of the apostles, save one, were martyred for their faith. Only one lived to a ripe old age. He was persecuted, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. The others were all murdered. Jesus said, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. (laughs) Oh, listen. Do you understand persecution? Do you know what Jesus Christ taught the world about persecution? taught the Christians living in the world about persecution. Will you obey Jesus Christ no matter what the cost? What would it cost to get you to deny Christ? The end of a barrel? The knife being held to your jugular? The threat of being fired? What would it Take for you to denounce Christ? Those were serious questions for these apostles. And it was only their love for Christ and their knowledge that what he had said was true. Heaven awaits us. That enabled them to live the fearless lives they lived. Be willing to suffer persecution. In order to stand for the truth of Jesus Christ. 